Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, episode number 31. My name is Crystal and I'm the creator of The Gentle Counselor, where we provide online resources to support the mental health and well-being of parents and children. Today on the podcast, we have Penny from Sick Happens, who's going to be talking to us about why she started Sick Happens, how to advocate for your child and their health, and how common it is for parents to experience anxiety around their child's health. Now, Penny is a registered nurse for over 10 years, and she also has her master's of nursing. She's also a mum to two little boys, and Penny delivers evidence-based practical education with empathy and reassurance to make sure that parents have the knowledge before the crisis hits. Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Penny. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal. So to start off with, can you tell our listeners a bit about why you got into nursing and how or why you started Sick Happens? Yeah, of course. Well, I actually kind of fell into nursing. I, when I finished high school, I wanted to do graphic design. Um, and I actually did a year of fine arts and loved every minute of it, but thought, mm, I don't think I'm going to be able to stick this out forever. And then just did the switch in my second year, just went, okay, I'll do nursing instead, um, which has got nothing to do with graphic design at all. Um, but I plotted through. I loved all of the theory in the nursing, but every time I went out on one of our pracs, I hated life. I just cried and I oh, found no. it so challenging. But there was something about nursing. I was like, no, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to stick it out. There's, there's got to be some good here. And it wasn't until my very last placement in my final year that I did my pediatric placement. And that's when I knew. I was like, yes, I have found my place in the world. And I've just stayed in pediatrics ever since. So I've been really lucky to have done so many different um, roles in nursing. So I've done emergency just for pediatrics, neonatal intensive care, general medical, food allergy research. Like it's the best thing about nursing is the variety. There's there's so many different jobs that you can have. Um, but it wasn't until I became a mum. So my eldest is now five, gosh, and starting school, that I realised that there was that gap in the education and the knowledge that parents have about mm. the inevitable sicknesses. So it was sort of more that they, they had access to first aid courses, um, which is incredible for those essential life-saving skills, um, accidents, but it was the fevers and the snotty noses and the random rash that pops up in the middle of the night that there was nowhere that they could really get access to learning about it. You could go see a GP, but it was fast-paced and 15 minutes in and out and there's not really any room for questions or future learning. So that's when I decided to start Sick Happens to deliver that education to parents before they're going through it in the middle of the night because we all know that you'll just jump on Google and then you're even more confused than oh, before you've on so Google. Relatable. <laughs> Google is the worst. The answer will always be cancer is what I've learned. Yes. 
or you just doubt yourself as a parent. Like, I mean, no, no parent really knows what they're doing. We're all just winging it. And we just, some parents just hide it better than others. Mm. And when you jump on Google, you just doubt yourself or you're like, I know something's wrong with my child, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, and so that was what I did. I was like, yes, let's get on Instagram number one, because that's where all, all the parents are. Mm-hmm. And give that evidence base information that's in really bite-sized pieces and then they can access um, the website for more in-depth information or education because, yeah, it's, it's stressful being a parent and there's so much anxiety around sickness in, sicknesses in kids that parents are just, yeah, they can become quite overwhelmed with the choices and the panic and the anxiety. Yeah, it's a lot to handle. And I definitely didn't realize before becoming a parent just how often kids even get sick and that it's okay and that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong either. I mean, you know, colds and flus happen or something I recently have been experiencing is like the school sicknesses that they get. I can't remember what they're called, yeah. school sores, I think, and just all these like things that I never Pitago. even existed. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part is that, like in my my website says it's it's education with empathy because you have to be empathetic to parents because mm. there's not many parents out there that are deliberately trying to do the wrong thing. Like everyone's doing the best they can with the information that they have and they're plastered over social media and on the news that you need this supplement and you need to feed mm. your child this and there must be a reason why your child's getting sick all the time and if you just buy this monthly subscription to this magic pill they'll be Mm. better and it's just not that's not reality like kids do get sick it's not anything that you're doing right or wrong it's just a really crappy part of parenting it sucks but it happens (laughs) sick happens (laughs) yes exactly and I love that you named your business sick happens because it really just is like such a quick, easy way to like fully encompass, like it's normal, like this happens and it's okay. And you're right. It's that in between that's missing, isn't it? Because usually when you go to like a hospital or your doctor, it's for something far more serious, but a lot of us or most of us thankfully don't get to that stage. It's mostly these little inconveniences (laughs) that happen in between but we still get really anxious and worried for our children. I remember when my, when I had my first child, my daughter, and I called the one three health line so yeah. many times and I could tell that they were treating me very gently and carefully because they realized I was a first time parent and it was like a fever. Like I didn't understand what was a normal temperature or when to get worried and what to look out for and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because no one really yeah. tells you, you know, we're not in our uh, pregnancy classes learning about that, right? No. We don't do a parenting course that talks about illness either. So I love that you're filling the gap that we really need. Yeah, and that is exactly why I wanted to put this out because you're right, you don't know what's normal or what's not until you're in it. And then you think, oh my gosh, I'm I need to go to emergency, which so many parents I used to triage at emergency and I just wanted to wrap them up and give them a cuddle and say, hey, like this that they've come in with, this bit's normal, look out for X, Y, and Z. That's Mm. when it becomes a problem. But they don't know. And you can't blame parents for coming into emergency because they're absolutely panicked that their little one is critically unwell when they don't know any better. Like that's not a parent's fault. 
where they don't have access to that um, preemptive education. So that's exactly why I yeah, started Sick Happens. And often I find that sometimes parents feel like they're being dismissed. And it took me a really mm. long time to recognize that in myself because I started not being satisfied with the answers I was getting, whether it was on the hotline or from my doctor, because I was still feeling really anxious or worried or I had questions. And so that brings in another issue is some of us really just want to know the full story. So like I've trained myself now to ask that question, okay, how do I know if this gets worse? What am I looking out for? So that was something that I had to realize I needed to start asking to obviously know what to look out for if things were to get worse. But also then it calmed my anxiety because I was like, oh, okay, we're not there yet. That's pretty extreme. And then those things never happened. We never got to an extreme level, but at least I knew. And then for the next time of fever or whatever might happen, then I already knew that. So it's like yeah. getting access to that extra information. And on yeah, that that's point, right. a lot of parents have issues with advocating for their children because most mm. of us just take the word of whoever we're speaking to and then we don't feel like we can challenge that further. I don't know if you have any experience with something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think advocating for your child or even advocating for yourself, it is a learnt skill. Uh, when you go to an appointment to see your GP or a speech pathologist or you're in emergency, there does seem to be this sort of unwritten power um, imbalance where you're going to get expert advice from that treating health professional, which is exactly why we go and see them. But just because you don't know something doesn't mean you can't ask the question. But then what I've found since starting Sick Happens is that parents then don't even know what question to ask mm. because you don't know what you don't know. So I think that's a huge part in that, yes, you need to learn how to advocate for yourself by knowing what questions to ask because then you've learnt, okay, this sickness could go down this pathway or it could go down that pathway. So learning how to ask the questions and it's not that you're challenging that doctor or that other health professional's opinion. It's just asking for options, asking for more information. It's simply saying, okay, I don't quite understand what you just said. Could you explain that differently? Or do you have a fact sheet on this? Because I'm going to forget everything that you have just <laughs> <Yes>. said. <laughs> as soon as I walk out into the car, it's gone. Like, it is absolutely gone. So asking for those additional resources or getting them to explain it differently or getting a website or anything like that really helps that that is advocating for your child because when you go home you're then responsible to look after your child and carry out whatever plan has been given of course you can always go back and there's phone numbers you can call but getting all the information while you're there is so much easier and it will ease your anxiety if you know what to expect if you know what's coming and when to come back if you ever need to and I think as well what a lot of people don't realize too is that if you're seeing a doctor and you are consistently not happy with either how they're talking to you or the lack of informational care that you feel like maybe you're missing out on you are allowed to go and get a second or a third opinion and I've seen so many stories of parents that go through this and it takes for that to happen for them to actually finally get proper care for either themselves or their child. And that's a really disappointing and scary thing to hear, but it's also important to know that we always have a choice. 
Yeah. So if you're able to seek out additional support or someone else, then that's something that we can do as well. Yeah. If you are all worried about your, even your own ability to be able to speak up in those appointments, you can bring a friend with you that is, knows what's happening with you and your child and can help ask those questions. So I know sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to ask that because I'll sound stupid. It's like, no, no, no. Like, that's what they're there for. They're mm-hmm. there to answer your questions. So there's definitely that option. But another thing to remember is that our GPs are amazing, but they're, they're general practitioners. So every GP you come across is going to have a different field of interest or um, different areas of expertise and so sometimes it's just finding a GP that has experience or an interest in whatever particular issue you and your family are going for so you might find that one GP is brilliant at treating childhood asthma whereas there might be another one that's better at your antenatal care or leading women through pregnancy so shopping around is not a bad thing you're just trying to find the right fit for you and your family and personality comes into that too. You know, you, you have to be able to gel with your doctor to be able to feel safe to ask those questions and there's nothing wrong with that. There's different personality types for different people and you just need to find the one that suits you and your family. That's such a good point you make. And it's okay to not get along with someone, whether oh, they're your gosh. GP or not. And so that means it's okay to find someone else that you do gel with I know for me I've actually been seeing my GP since I was 12 so like more than half my life she literally knows my life story and I am not looking forward to the day that I can no longer see her because I don't have to like retell everything to someone new and so that's been really great especially when it comes to my mental health factors because she knows not only my history but my family history from all Mm -hmm. the way back then in my teens when most of it started happening anyway And what's interesting is, so my children will see her sometimes, but occasionally we go and see this different doctor who just seems to take whatever limited to no information I give him and perfectly diagnose what's happened to my child and then give us a perfect medicine that fixes it like straight away. Mm, And I'm like, how do you do that? It's so amazing. And his, the way he treats the children is really cute as well. So that's always really nice when people take that extra care with your children, especially, yeah. you know, I've been had nurses give us like little coloring impacts when we've had to wait in a waiting room. And it's those little touches that make you really appreciate where you're going and make you keep going back. And then you yeah. keep building that relationship, which is really lovely too. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I've got one really good friend of mine and she likes her doctor to be really forthright and not cut her off halfway through and say, no, this is what we're going to do. And she will keep going back to see that doctor. She's like, no, I want that. I need that. I don't want someone to be, tell me how you feel. <laughs> like that. And that's just her. She yes. loves that. And she's found a doctor that she absolutely adores. Um, whereas for me, I'm like, no, I need the hug I want someone to be there that's kind with my kids and embraces us and I'm so lucky that I have found a GP that I really like but yeah it's not a bad thing to keep switching to find a child because uh, sorry to find a GP because that is advocating for your family and it's really important 
And I think when people think about advocating for our children, we sort of build it up like it's this big impossible task that we need to reach, that we need to be like superwoman and have all the perfect words Mm. and, you know, like march. (laughs) Or they view it as a negative that you're, Mm. you know, questioning what that doctor has said or that you are, you know, saying, no, you're wrong. I want to do this different line of treatment. And that's not it at all. It's advocating for your child is something like saying, I don't know what it is, but this is not normal for my child because we all know that norm, the spectrum of normal is huge with kids. Mm. And so if you said, yeah, I know that that type of breathing pattern is, you know, is normal for kids, but this is the first time they've ever done this and it is not normal and it's impacting X, Y, and Z. So even just pointing out how things are different for your child that's advocating so and that's a really really important thing that a parent can do is speaking up for your child to say that's not normal um yeah it's not necessarily saying you're wrong or you've missed something it's saying no i want to give you as much information as possible so that you understand where i'm coming from and how this is impacting my child Something you've just made me realize as well is advocating for our child can also be done in a roundabout way when it's actually to do with us. And what I mean by that is I was trying to think of an experience that I could share and I don't have any to do necessarily with my children, but I do for myself. And so what had happened was last year I was having extreme tooth pain. Like I was waiting on like getting an appointment and things like that, but I needed something stronger than um, paracetamol or whatever. And I went to the doctor and because I'm breastfeeding, he said there was nothing that he could give me. Whereas I know because I've helped a group of friends run a breastfeeding group that there are safe medications you can take, Mm -hmm. but he was going purely by what the computer was telling him. And I must've just been in a good, like bad B word mood, (laughs) but I was very, I was very (laughs) respectful and I pretty much looked him dead in the eye. And I said to him, if you don't give me a prescription for this, honestly, I'm just going to go to a different doctor and ask for it. And then it took for me saying that, that he finally found a different way to go about allowing me, you know, for him to have this. And I had to put like one of my friend's names down who was a, um, pharmacist like it's like a witness or something I don't know um and that was really challenging for me because in his mind I was just going to not breastfeed for like two weeks if I were to take that medication or or just be in absolute pain for the weeks or whatever I had to wait and I was like that's ridiculous that's not a way that you can make that work for someone because I obviously like for anyone that's breastfeeding, you know that you can't just magically stop like your child is going to get upset Mm. about that. And that would have presented its own other challenges. Yeah. And so you've just made me realize that that was a way that I advocated for my child in a different, completely roundabout way where I was really advocating for myself as well. Yeah. And I think being honest with your doctor or any health professional, that's a huge part of building that relationship is saying, you know what, I've looked into this, like even if you'd said, look, I've done research on this, this says that this medication is safe to have while breastfeeding, can you explain why you're not prescribing me this? They might be like, oh, let me let me have a look. And I have had this question come through so many times saying, oh, I hate it when my, chief, when my GP checks things on the internet. Whereas I'm like, no, I love it when they whip up the internet and double check something because they are 
practitioners. They can't be experts in absolutely every mm-hmm. medication and every illness and every treatment plant. So I love it because they're, they're second guessing themselves and they're double checking themselves. And so if you'd said, yeah, like I'm going to have this medication, maybe he then did have another little look, went to a different website, double check something, went, oh yeah, oh yeah, I can do that. I very rarely will say I was wrong, but at least there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> got it. And that's, yeah, that's great. Like speaking up and being honest, saying, hey, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Like, oh, wow, she's really serious about this one. Let me double check that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It still felt so weird to say. And I honestly still look back at it and I can't believe I did it because, look, I'm good at talking the talk and I'll hype you up to do the same thing. But me doing <laughs> it, it felt very foreign. But I was. I was and I still am very proud of myself for that moment because that was like a big thing for me in my own like self-growth journey. Yeah, good on um, you then. That's I was, awesome. Yeah, but that also goes to show how much pain I was in. And look, like yes. <laughs> I have three-day labours. The, the fact that my tooth was causing me so much pain that I said that like should speak volumes. <laughs> Give me the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that I didn't realise is how many of us also are constantly or often worried about our children and their health and we Mm. can get quite anxious about it right and it's one of those things where sometimes it is a worst case scenario you know we've seen plenty of movies or tv shows or maybe you've read a really sad story on facebook and like we were joking about before if you go onto google it's going to tell you all the worst case scenarios Mm -hmm. yeah but it's really important that parents understand that they're not alone in that as well and there's nothing wrong with you for necessarily being so worried about your child's health either it's just that if it is interfering with your day-to-day life right like if it's becoming a problem then that's sort of when I would recommend someone to see a professional like a counselor or psychologist face-to-face to to work on those worries Um, especially for mothers that are in postpartum because that could actually be pointing more towards postpartum anxiety where you have intrusive thoughts Um, that Mm -hmm. are sort of like really horrible and debilitating sometimes. But for the most part, most of us just get worried in the moment. And of course we do because we love our children. We don't like seeing them having fevers where they're in pain or their moods off and their personality is different. It's really strange when you've got a toddler that's jumping on the couch and screaming around the house one second to completely bedridden the next. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. It is so much more common than parents ever think they often believe that they're catastrophizing their thoughts and thinking oh my gosh I just am constantly stressed out that my child's going to get sick and they're never going to get better but you'd be surprised how many parents actually think that or have legitimate phobias around certain illnesses so gastro is often quite a huge trigger for parents where they get so panicked that A, their child is now vomiting everywhere, but then B, oh my gosh, how am I going to parent if I get this? I know my husband, he really struggles with vomiting. Um, He gets quite anxious about vomiting. And so you just mentioned the word gastro and he's like, what? Quick, everyone wash their hands. And it's not abnormal at all for parents to do that because you go into like a thousand steps ahead of yourself thinking, right, I've got to deal with my sick child right now, but you're already picturing a couple of days in advance saying, okay, who's going to look after the child, the Mm. other child when I'm sick in bed and how am I going to get to work and what am I going to do? Like you just, there's so many balls up in the air when you're a parent that it is totally normal to be anxious about health because you want your kids to be healthy, but 
yeah, like you mentioned, if it's really impacting your day-to-day life and it's starting to sort of come into play in a lot of your thoughts, then, yeah, it's really time to talk to someone because there's actually a lot of healthcare professionals that are starting to specialise in healthcare anxiety because it is so common. Mm. And you touched on a good point there too, is that often our anxieties can even come from thinking of everything else. You know, it's like the mental load of if I get sick, who's going to cook dinner? Who's taking the kids to school? Who's packing lunches? It's like all these other factors that we have to think about. If we get taken out, like the ship falls apart. (laughs) It does. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then even things like sick leave with work. I know Mm. so many times where you have a child, particularly if they go to daycare or they're at school, when you're constantly taking time away from work to look after your sick child. So you're not even sick. You're taking all of this time off to look after your sick child because they get sick so much in their first few years of life. So that then when you are actually sick, you've run out of sick leave or you have to take more sick leave and then you're worried about your job and everyone thinks that you're just since becoming a parent, all of a sudden you can't do your job properly. Like there are so many thoughts and worries that go through your mind as a parent. And yeah, I think it's so stressful to hold on to that all of the time. And we all think it, we all have these worries, but yeah, it's just nice to know that you're not alone in your struggles that every other parent out there is going through the same struggles, but we just might not talk openly about it as much as we probably should. That's one of the biggest challenges that I went through in parenting as well is realizing how often the kids get sick, but then it almost felt like it never ended. And to be honest, Mm -hmm. sometimes it really doesn't, especially when it's like those typical colds and flus that kind of happen. And then Mm -hmm. you have the controversy, right, of people getting very angry and upset about the parents that keep taking their kids Mm -hmm. when they're sick. And now I'm able to see it in a different way. I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm trying to be very careful with how I'm with wording this. But now I understand because if you've run out of sick leave or if you don't even have sick leave, you know, there are places in the world that don't have Mm -hmm. some of the benefits that we typically get in Australia where we work, then what are they supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really a lot more sensitive to that now as frustrating as it can be. And what's funny is that I actually had a conversation with our daycare lady who was asking her doctor about it. And he just ended up saying to her, don't send them home. Just let the kids stay. They're all going to get sick anyway. And they're all just going to keep passing it to each other anyway. So his attitude was kind of like, you may as well let them all be sick together and they all get over it together. And I was like, okay, that's an interesting perspective. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Do you mean like siblings, like not separating siblings or keeping No, like when you're sending your children to like daycare or school. Sick? Yes. Do you mean? Yeah. Well, I guess every childcare and school will have different policies on what's acceptable and what's not what's not acceptable. They, I mean, this is sort of it's a lot different now with COVID. Unfortunately, that's made things a lot more challenging with snotty noses. But pre-COVID, um, childcare and schools were sensible in that you, of course, a child can go to school with a snotty nose or a cough. Um, because they, they're going to have that all of the time. But if it's a more contagious illness, I mean, obviously you could argue that a snotty nose is very contagious. Um, but if you've got something like 
you mentioned um, earlier about school sores or if your child's vomiting or has a fever, yeah, you're not going to send your child to school mm. or um, childcare with those things. But, yeah, I think most schools and childcare centres are going to be amazing at being realistic in what's okay to send to school and what's not okay. Um, but, yeah, COVID's gone and thrown a massive spanner in the yes. works because you just can't do anything now, which I can, is a whole extra layer of stress yes. that parents are having now. <laughs> My gosh, mm. like a tiny little sniffle and yeah, sometimes they can't go, which you can appreciate um, why those rules have changed. But I think there needs to be a little bit of critical thinking in there because what if it's hay fever or what if they, yeah, they've just got allergies. Like there's so many things that, a sniffle or a runny nose could be that's not necessarily contagious, but I don't make the rules. I know it's very interesting, isn't it? And everywhere does it mm. differently. But then there's also the factor, like you were saying, obviously something in like the school schools or the vomiting, you wouldn't send your child. Yeah. But that's not necessarily just because of the sending them to ch- uh, this to school aspect. It's your child is probably feeling unwell and terrible. <laughs> like I know when <laughs> I'm sick, especially if you were vomiting, like the last thing you want to mm-hmm. do is be seeing anyone else. Like you want to be home, like in the comfort of your own home, being doted on by your loved ones and like resting and sleeping. And so that's another yeah. factor too. You want to vomit without well. a million eyes watching you. <laughs> yes. And I also <laughs> wonder if that's why some adults push through when they are like on their deathbed sick. I wonder if that could be linked to them being forced to go to school when they were sick. <laughs> sick, yeah, maybe. Maybe you've got some old school sores coming up there. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. And now the pandemic has thrown a complete spanner mm. in the works where um, a lot of us were getting temperature tested before we were allowed to enter. Yeah. And I saw a lot of people being turned away and, and the poor frustration in the parents' face. Oh, my goodness. I, know. I can only laugh because it didn't happen <laughs> to me. Yeah. But, but it that's is very challenging too. When you're trying to look after a child and run a household and keep your job and do your work at your job, it yeah, there's a lot that, yeah, it's it's so stressful when you're trying to work out, you know, if your little one has to stay home from school because they're sick but you've got a job to do and you don't have any sick leave, like it's just a lot of stress and a lot of balls still up in the air. Mm. I feel like we're tapping into like a much deeper topic of conversation that is far more than ours or this podcast's ability with that. (laughs) (laughs) But I am interested to see what changes we are going to see from the effects of the pandemic, because I do Mm. think things are going to change and hopefully for the better, I would like to think. I mean, you know what? I would really like it if people still stayed like a meter and a half away from me when we're in line. That would be really nice. <laughs> you need a bit more personal space. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> See, I'm desperate for some physical contact. I, like, want to hug everyone again. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. I think that's a bit different for me in my job as well because I'm usually around children with my work. And, and yeah, so it's a little bit different in that sort of sense. Mm, um, yeah. Yes. So... We've come to the end of the podcast episode. Penny, can you tell those that are listening where they can find you for more? Yeah, I spend a lot of my time on Instagram. So it's at sick.happens. And I also have a website, which is www.sickhappens.com.au. And I have so much free stuff on the website as well as Instagram. But then there's a whole library of educational resources, whether you're looking for 
digital products. I also have an online course and I have a couple of little practical um, products like medicine tracker magnets and health trackers. So there's so many things on the website now, which is super exciting. But yeah, just head to Instagram and follow the little crumbs and you'll find what you're looking for. Perfect. And I'll make sure to have all those links down below as well. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today, Penny. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. It's always nice to have a chat to other other healthcare professionals that are interested in kids and families. It's a, it's a big passion of mine. I can tell it is for you too.